This is an ABC podcast. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Hello, I'm Cassie Huff. It's great to have your company this chilly summer afternoon. Coles uh, was public enemy number one for years uh, with dairy farmers over dollar milk. But with milk a little harder to come by these days, the tables have turned. Coles is now offering bonuses and new three-year contracts to dairy farmers who supply milk for the Coles brand across southeastern Australia. I think I describe it to my wife as generational change. You know, for us, it is hugely important. It'll put us in a position in three years' time that if the wheels happen to absolutely fall off, our business will be extremely strong and be able to weather whatever comes to us. Nice to hear such positivity from a a dairy farmer after a long stretch there where times were pretty tough. I'll have more on that soon. And I'll have an update on China's pork production rebuild after African swine fever ripped through the industry there. That has flow and effects to a broad range of industries, beef and uh, all sorts of protein production. So I'll have more on that soon. But first up today, South Australian dairy farmer John Hunt has announced that he'll be stepping down as the president of the South Australian Dairy Farmers Association after six years as president. Now, he's gone toe-to-toe with politicians. He's seen drought, he's seen wet times and dairy farmers leaving the industry as well as good times as well. And uh, there's been a lot of change in the industry during his tenure, supermarkets ending, dollar milk, the dairy code. Uh, There were tough times, now some quite strong times financially. So uh, to reflect on the past six years, John Hunt joins me now. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So you've made the decision to retire as president uh, after what I believe is six years. How have you come to this decision? Oh, look, it's, it's yeah, I've been 10 years on the board and, and six years as president. And um, we've actually uh, purchased a new property. So I've got to, I've got to change my focus to, uh, to the property. And I, I think also just, just you need succession in these roles Um Sometimes you've got to be careful because you can carry a bit much, you know, old baggage instead of letting new new thoughts and um, and ideas come through. So, no, I just just felt it was time and and discussed it with uh, my uh, my CEO and and mate Andrew Curtis, and we just sort of thought, no, I, I think the time is um, the time is now. Six years is a, a fair stint. Are you going to remain on the board? No, no, I don't think I could because um, it wouldn't be fair to the. Uh, to the to the next president coming through because I'm I'm reasonably vocal with my ideas and um, I I don't think I could sit uh, I don't think I could sit quietly uh, or you know what I mean I just I think it's time just to step right away. Well, I think that yeah. frankness is what has endeared you to a lot of uh, dairy farmers over the years. When you took on the job, did you have any particular goals and did you achieve them? Yeah, look, I, I think my main goal was to give back to an industry that has really helped us and uh, and my family just just to be able to um, to grow and to prosper. Um, and I've always thought that the dairy industry is a, is a great industry to be involved in, and and we could sort of look at tweaking some stuff to to make things um, oh, a lot more a lot more sustainable and a lot more reassuring for farmers going forward. So. Probably the code of conduct was, I think, our biggest achievement. Um, South Australia had a had a fairly big impact into that. We've got some uh, 
very clever people on our on our staff, or I call them team, uh, to assist with that. So that's just put everybody on a on a level playing field. Um, and I think, as you mentioned just at the start, the dollar litre milk that that coming off, um, gee, that was that was eight years in the making, nine years in the making, you know, and and a bit of pressure certainly certainly made that uh, happen. Um, but I think you know. When I reflect back, I, I think the most enjoyable part is how the state comes together when there are emergencies. Um, you've seen it just now with the floods, how um, uh, everybody gets together and it doesn't matter whether you're a member of an organisation or not. The, the, the main thing is the well-being of the people and the animals. Um, so our staff are really keen on, on keeping, you know, doing as much as they can to, to make sure that the ministers are informed and everybody's informed of what's going on. Um, and with the with the fires, you know, at, when they were at Kangaroo Island and stuff, uh, again we had our team down there driving tractors who who had never even attempted that before. So it's just that willingness to pitch in and and get together and just just help the industry out as a whole, I guess. I'm speaking to outgoing president of the South Australian Dairy Farmers Association, John Hunt. Now, when you came in, there were some pretty tough times in the, the dairy industry. The, the industry has lost a lot of farmers, but you're going out at a time when uh, prices are pretty strong and there seems to be a lot of positivity in the industry. But where do you think more work still needs to be done? I think down at education level, um, down to lower level, like there, there's we've got to create pathways to get younger people into farming. And we've spent a long time talking farming down, um, but but farming is a good way to uh, to generate wealth. If, if you can get there, the first step is always the hardest. So, you know, if we can create different pathways for that, I, I think that's really good. Also now it's it's around um, the image of farming. Um, you know, like like farming gets a bad rap because of, you know, emissions and, and, and you know, what we produce. But now we can actually measure our emissions and, and, you know, we can tell people, like I say, I keep on saying in South Australia, we're 0.0097% of, uh, of Australia's total emissions. And um, that's what we admit. We also sequester a lot. Uh, you know, we've, we've got to get the message out that, that, you know, we produce food to feed people. You know, we're not just here to make money. Well, yes, we are. Actually, that wasn't right. Uh, we, but we're, we're feeding people. We're there for a purpose. Um, you know, so we, we got to make sure we get that message out and, and starting young, you know, starting with young kids, I think is very important that they know that, that without agriculture, I mean, people go hungry and, uh, with this generation and probably even the last, like we, we don't know what it's like to be hungry. And, uh, so we got to make sure we get that message out. Now, just on a current issue, the supermarket giant Coles is now offering bonuses and three-year contracts to dairy farmers who supply milk to the Coles brand across the southeastern Australia. Did you think you'd see a day when Coles, after doing dollar milk, would have to really pay some pretty steep prices to get milk? Well, that's it. Now, you know, when they when they come into the market themselves uh, and, and purchasing their own milk, they can see how tight it is. Uh, and what they have to do for farmers, like their reps will be talking to their farmers and their farmers will be telling them the margins. Now, for a lot of years, they just said, well, that's that's not our problem. You know, we're just using it as a lost lead to get people in the door. Now that they're actually processing and their costs go up, uh, like the people who bottle their milk, like their costs go up. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, it's you know, it's consumer driven. Uh, consumer still wants the product, but you can't do it for nothing. And that was always our our um, our. our message to them you know like um you, you've got to be able to pass on the cost you know we can't get to a ten dollar letter stage but um you know it's it's you can't replicate our food 
you know, uh, so so it's 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 worth something. And now that they're uh, they're in the chain, um, they have to change their attitude. I know you'll be missed for your frank talking in some areas, but what's next for Sada? What's next for Sada is some exciting changes. We had to, you know, uh, we have got succession sort of lined up. We had to get our ducks in a row. Uh, that'll be announced next week. Um, Sada itself is a really, it's an evolving organisation. You know, um, we've, we we might be a small team, but um, do you know, I tell you what, the people that are there are, are so passionate about the industry. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, look, even getting cheese into into um, Indonesia and Vietnam, the, the Sada Fresh, we, we're thinking outside the, the square all the time, uh, as you have to in any business. So, you know, Sada is in, in really good heart. We've got some good people on the board, um, passionate people, all farmers are passionate, I think. Um, and, and yeah, no, you know, nothing but nothing but positivity for uh, for Sada in our industry, and um, that's the message we we need to put out. Any word on who will be taking over? Uh, next week. Right. Next week, been sworn to secrecy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it's not that far away. Well, no. um, I I'm not sure you're going to be getting a farewell card from Joel Fitzgibbon, but um, I'm sure there will be a few people who miss you. Is that one of the more memorable moments? You're toe to toe with Joel Fitzgibbon. Yeah. Look, he, he he's a different cat, eh? You know, and um and and it just. Oh, it was it was quite interesting because because some of the the correspondence that we we exchanged, you know, you just knew he didn't know anything about farming, you know, just what he was told, and um, you know, it would have been good to sit down. I, I I left messages with him to sit down. I'll come across and we'll have a chat, but uh, I don't think they're too keen on chatting face to face. So, um, but no, look, it was it was good, oh, good fun. Um, it was an experience. It was an experience. Yeah. So, uh, well, all, no, it's good. Yeah, it is good fun. Yeah. All the best with your um, future farming endeavours. It's been um, good to have you to chat about dairy issues over the last six years. So, thank you so much for your time. No, thank you, Cassie. All the best. John Hunt there, outgoing president of the South Australian Dairy Farmers Association, speaking there. And he's been sworn to secrecy, so we'll find out who is taking over next week by the sounds of things as the president of SADA. But speaking of dairy, supermarket giant Coles, as we've mentioned, uh, is offering bonuses and new three-year contracts to dairy farmers who supply milk to Coles, uh, to the Coles brand across southeastern Australia. The move by Coles will give you price security for farmers uh, to supply the market, so the supermarket, in New South Wales, Victoria, Tasmania and South Australia. One of the suppliers is Dave Jones from the Derwent Valley in Tasmania and he told Tony Briscoe the new supplier contracts come as a surprise as Coles tries to ensure there's enough milk in its stores for the next three years. Well, Coles have just extended our contract for, for the three years and uh, have given us a new contract, which I can't really talk too much about, Tony. It's, it's a healthy contract and it'll mean for our family and our business that we can move forward with positivity for the next three years. So how long have you been with them now? Uh, this is my second year with them now. So, yeah, so only two years, but it's, um, it's been quite the ride. Uh, as we all know, uh, dairy prices have historically fluctuated quite a lot, but um, over the last couple of seasons, they've been fluctuating in the right direction, which has been nice. Um, and Coles has always shown that they're prepared to, to meet and beat the market, which, is, which has been a, a really nice change as a dairy farmer. Now, initially, you did sign a contract for three years and they were uh, giving you a particular price. And then uh, what happened in the second year when the prices last year, when the prices went through the roof? Well, we were all quite a little bit 
nervy. Oh, all of us, there's, there's three suppliers in Tasmania. Uh, as we saw the, the figures coming out from other processes of eight and nine dollars, because we were, we were locked in it quite a lot below that. But true to the form that we've, we've seen with, with Coles and the milk department, the contract was uh, ripped up. And a new one was offered to us with a which with a much better price. So yeah, they've they've been great to deal with, Tony. And the latest price, which you can't let us know what it is, is even better, I believe. Quite a bit better than than what we were on. And and as I said before, it'll it'll make going forward a lot easier. We can forward plan. We can um, fix up some some items on the farm that probably haven't had attention over the last ten years, and um, and then do what most people would like to do, and that is pay off some debt. I suppose it's not uh, normal, really, in the dairy industry to ensure you've got a, a great price for a three-year period. Oh, absolutely not, Tony. I've always signed contracts, uh, long-term contracts for 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 all of my business, whether it be power, grain. Whatever, if I can lock something in at a price that I'm comfortable with and know I can make money out of, then then I have. Unfortunately, with the dairy industry, there's been contracts there, but unfortunately, there's never been a price linked to them. There's been bonuses for signing the contracts, which have been a small amount of money, but the actual price has never been confirmed. So this is a real real change. Uh, I think I describe it to my wife as generational change. You know, for us, Tony, it is it. It is hugely important. It'll put us in a position in three years' time that if the wheels happen to absolutely fall off, our business will be extremely strong and be able to weather whatever comes to us. I suppose it uh, was a bit of a gamble when you first ventured into this (laughs) partnership with with the supermarket. What are your thoughts now? Uh, Well, I'll be quite honest, Tony. There was... um, Quite a bit of heated discussion around the the dining room table with uh, my wife and my children. They were very um, much no because of the the history um, with Dollar Milk. But my bank manager and my accountant convinced them that it was probably worth the gamble, and it's it's definitely been worth the gamble. What's going to be the talk around the dinner table tonight? Uh, yeah, no, there's all smiles at the moment, mate. <laughs> all smiles. It's, it's nice when you're right occasionally. Good to hear. That was Tasmanian dairy farmer Dave Jones speaking to Tony Briscoe. It's 19 minutes past 12. Looking at pork now. And after African swine fever wiped out more than half of the Chinese pig herd in 2019-20, Chinese pork production appears to have climbed back up to normal levels. Now, the Chinese actually import pork from around the globe, but that has dropped and eventually could mean cheaper processed pork in Australian supermarkets. Matt Dalglish is the Director of Agricultural Analysis Group, Episode 3, and he says that while pork will still be a popular protein in China, the most popular protein in China, in fact, uh, an appetite is growing for alternatives like chicken, seafood and beef. For the 2023 season, they're forecast to get back to nearly kind of, if you look at it proportionally in terms of what they produce to what they import, for, for a period when they had the, you know, the depths of that ASF issue uh, with their pork herd, they, they increased to about 15% imports to production, whereas now, um, 2023, it's kind of back down around 3% of imports to production. And that's partially because their, you know, their production has started to recover out of that uh, African swine fever um, issue that they had back in you know, 2019. 2020. 
from an import perspective, um, they look like they're back to pretty close to normal. But also the other thing we look at is the price of pork in China, and that's back to you know levels that were consistent with pre-ASF as well. So, so both price and, and import volumes both tell us that they're pretty much back to normal. If we look at Chinese consumption of pork, I was reading an article in Time from earlier this month saying that domestic supermarket sales have dropped, so prices have dropped off. But are you hearing anything along those lines that consumption may be down a bit? Yeah, for pork products. So historically, but prior to ASF, pork was the, the most consumed item in China in terms of meat item per capita. But uh, And significantly above, you know, chicken would have probably been chicken and fish, you know, the next the next ones below that. And then, you know, you've got beef and, and lamb, you know, a distant third and fourth. Uh, or sheep meat more broadly. But yeah, through what happened through that ASF period, because of that reduction in the pork herd in China, and we're talking numbers went down from about 400 million head of pigs down to into the 200 million. So we had a massive drop in their in their pig herd through mm-hmm. culling and, and death from ASF. Um, and that meant that for that 2020 season, it was estimated that the, the gap in production uh, for Chinese pork was like around 24 million tonnes of product that they just didn't have access to. Um, so what that meant was in that in that year 2020, they had to try and import any other meat protein they could find from anywhere else in the world, which included Australia, of course. And that's when um, China went to the to being the top destination for Australian beef for a period there because they was had such a voracious appetite for for meat products. But so what happened through that time? There was not as much pork available, and so the Chinese consumer had to look at other options. And so they started to you know eat more beef, eat more lamb. And, and and so that kind of has changed a little bit, I guess, the consumer's palate. Um, you know, it's not that they've they've now switched totally across. Pork's still the number one meat that they eat per capita, but I think they're much more open and more willing to try alternative meat products if the price is right or if they're looking for something different or that you know they've they've got used to that flavour. So I think it has changed. Um, you know, some of the the, the perception in the, in the average Chinese consumer in terms of what kind of meat um, they're happy to, to purchase. That is such an interesting legacy, isn't it, that may continue through where you've been exposed to these different proteins, be it chicken, fish or other, you know, red meat proteins, that there may be a continued demand for them where there wasn't before. That's right. And I think MLA have noted as well, uh, particularly in relation to beef um, towards the end of uh, last year, I think there was an article that they'd spoken about where historically the Chinese consumer, when they when they consume beef, they tended to consume that out at a restaurant. But through what happened, then you had ASF where they started to eat a bit more beef because the pork wasn't available. But then you had COVID come after that. And so they started cooking more at home. And then because they were familiar with beef from, from the ASF episode, then they decided to, to, to try and cook beef at home a bit more. And so that we, we've noticed in some of those um, destinations where we send the beef to that there's been a changing dynamic where they're buying more at the retail level and bringing it home rather than buying it through food service sectors out at a restaurant. And just going back to this increase in Chinese production of pork and that decrease that we've seen in terms of imports to production, it's gone from 15% back down to normal, about 3%, you were saying. What does that mean for the Australian pig industry? Will we see any sort of price impact from that Chinese production increasing? We can have. We've got to remember that the Australian pig industry, we, don't, we, we do have some exports, but we don't have a lot of exports. Uh, we tend to import more product, but that, that tends to be not fresh pork. It's, it's processed-type product, like you're... You've salted and cured, you know, your salamis and hams and all those kind of things. But the way that the change in dynamic there with what's happening in China, um, I guess it'll be the reverse of what happened through ASF. So when they were going through ASF, they were looking to buy 
pork and other meat products from all around the world. And so they started to compete quite aggressively with the Australian uh, you know, importer of products. And so you know, some product was getting diverted to China instead of coming to Australia, as in the, the stuff we would normally import here. So that meant that you know, the local pork producer um, had a bit of a free kick because they weren't getting as um, much competition from imported pork product coming into Australia because it was all being diverted to China. Um, now with the Chinese kind of going back to a more normal scenario with their trade flow, that could mean that there's more, you know, available pork on the on the market globally. Um, so that could that could mean some of this kind of, you know, somewhat cheaper imported um, processed pork product can start to find its way back to the Australian shelves. Uh, and so that could put a bit of price pressure on the on the domestic producer, particularly those producers that are. It's not so much in the fresh pork market because because fresh pork in Australia is, you know, you can be pretty comfortable that that's only an Australian product. But um, you know, the imported kind of processed product is is where we might see some price competition coming in uh, and, and they may affect the, the kind of local producer of, of those um, of those types of products. Matt Dalgleish, Director of Agricultural and Analysis Group, Episode 3, speaking with Joe Prendergast. We'll head across to the Bureau of Meteorology now. Mark Analak joins me. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Cassie. Is it good afternoon or not? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they say there's no such thing as bad weather, just inappropriate clothing, but this certainly is a bit of a shock to the system. Is this a record, this weather that is being experienced across South Australia at the moment? It's certainly very cold and we are in record range. Um, obviously, we haven't got to the warmest part of the day being sort of mid-afternoon, but uh, just particularly looking at the southeast corner of the state where the coldest air is moving over, um, places like Lamaru, uh, Padthaway, Narracourt, um, even as far west as Port Lincoln, uh, up, as, up to Clare, have all so far haven't reached their, their um, how do I term it, the lowest maximum temperature for, for February yet. So uh, it's a very cold day across the, the agricultural areas of the state and uh, even quite cool pushing up into the northern parts of the state where, where that change has now made its way up into uh, places like Oodnadatta where it's only sitting on 22 degrees at the moment. Um, so yeah, very cool conditions and uh, quite cloudy as well. We do have some showers sort of zipping across uh, agricultural areas um, but they're very, very, very moving very quickly and uh, they're very brief showers. So rainfall totals aren't going to be uh, particularly huge over the next sort of 12 to 24 hours. Um, for the rest of today, we can expect windy conditions to continue, um, very cool conditions to continue, and overnight tonight is when we'll see those winds start to ease back and hopefully the showers will contract back to the lower southeast coast uh, this evening before clearing out around lunchtime tomorrow. That'll give us a fine weekend ahead uh, throughout the state, um, albeit it'll be still quite cool tomorrow given the southerly flow on the eastern flank of a, an approaching high pressure system. Um, but as that high pressure system moves a little bit closer to us on Sunday, we'll see the winds turn a little bit more easterly and temperatures will start to rise again back to what we would say is near normal uh, February temperatures. By Monday, that high-pressure system will drift off to the uh, east, and we're back into north, well, east-northeasterly winds, and we'll see temperatures continue to rise through the early part of next week. A couple of things to watch for: um, we do have uh, a trough of low-pressure um, sort of hovering over the southwest of, of Queensland. There's a good chance that that trough will drift into the northeastern parts of the state. Um, 
and may produce showers and thunderstorms. And the other thing to watch for is an upper level disturbance midweek, which may trigger some showers through central parts around the middle part of next week. But in terms of rainfall, not expecting too much more now. Uh, lower southeast might see another 2 to 10 millimetres. Um, other agricultural areas, less than a few millimetres for the rest of today. And uh, we should be in for fine weather through the early part of next week, Cassie. Yeah, it was certainly a bit of a wake-up call, this weather. It would be interesting to see if those records do pan out. Thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. My pleasure. Mark Anlack from the Bureau of Meteorology there. In the far west of New South Wales, the upper western is going to be sunny. Overnight temperatures are going to fall to between 11 and 14 degrees, but the daytime temperatures are going to get to about 30 degrees. The lower western, also sunny, and again, fairly mild temperatures. Overnight, getting cool, down to 9 degrees, but the daytime temperatures will reach the mid-twenties. I've got more to come on the Country Hour, including an update on the situation regarding fruit fly in the Riverland, because it seems like there's another announcement of a fruit fly outbreak every day across the Riverland at the moment, so we'll follow up on that in the next 30 minutes. It's coming up to 1 o'clock. Oh, sorry, one twelve thirty. You're listening to the Country Hour. For more stories from across the country, go to abc.net.au slash rural. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill, this is Cassie Huff. Cassie Huff. Hello, it's great to have your company. I am Cassie Huff. Now, the River Murray levels might be dropping, but that doesn't mean the damage done uh, is uh, anywhere near over yet. There's a lot of uh, pain and work being done to, to try and recover and... Uh, one way that you might be able to help out is getting behind a charity soccer match that has been organised by industry and the state government to try and raise some much-needed funds to reduce this distress and hardship that some primary producers are facing at the moment. So I'll bring you some more details on that. And when Kimber farmer Brooke Seal was sending off his youngest son Ziggy to school, he wanted to give him a bit of a hand because Ziggy has a brain injury. So Brock wrote a book. I'll tell you a little bit about how that went. The book's main is, is about Ziggy needs a main character, but it's about accepting differences in people and and maybe not and, and also not putting them down or and, and embracing them. And, and if there's something different about you, well, that's fantastic. I'll have more on that wonderful initiative and how the ch- children have embraced their classmate Ziggy in the next half hour. But first, we'll find out what's making news with Matt Coleman. Good afternoon. Hello Cassie. In the news this afternoon, police are at the scene of a serious crash on York Peninsula. Emergency services were called to the intersection of Irwin Street and Heritage Drive at Wallaroo after reports that a car had left the road and crashed into a tree. The driver suffered serious injuries and road restrictions are in place. The Federal Health Minister Mark Butler says the government is committed to rebuilding Medicare but has warned the task will neither be quick nor easy. His comments come after the release of a report which made 21 broad recommendations to overhaul the primary care system. Some of the recommendations include improving access to GPs, particularly after hours, allowing doctors to bill for longer consults and increasing the health workforce. And martial law has been declared in several areas of military-run Myanmar a day after authorities extended a state of emergency throughout the country. State-run television has broadcast the announcement by the Secretary of the Military State Administration Council. Martial law is now in effect in 37 townships across eight of the country's 14 regions and states. More news at one o'clock. 
Thanks so much for that, Matt Coleman, there. Now, as I was saying, uh, there's a lot of hardship at the moment along the river. The Murray levels might be dropping, but some people are only just getting a handle on the damage that's been done, and uh, farmers and small agricultural businesses are going to need some help to recover. What way to do that? A better way to do that than with some sport. So... A few organisations have come together, really uh, South Australian, really South Australian focused industries are coming together. The South Australian Produce Market, uh, Foodland, uh, the state government, PERSA and Rural Business Support are all coming together to help raise some money for primary producers and small businesses that have been affected by the floods. And uh, it's going to uh, mean a soccer match at the hallowed grounds of Cooper's Stadium. Now, just to get a sense of just how much uh, damage and um, uh, relief is required in the regions, I'm joined by the CEO of Rural Business Support, Brett Smith. Good afternoon. Hi, Cass. How are you? I'm well, thank you. So... uh, We'll get into the soccer match and how it's come about, but just how important is it for the people who you are working with at the moment to see some money raised to help with the, the work they need? Well, I mean, to, to state that, that comment, yes, Cass, it's extremely important. Um, we've, uh, we've been working uh, for some time in the relief centres um, and our councillors have been working um, you know, along um, the river system uh, with, uh, with the many small businesses that are that have been impacted, but um, you know, PERSA are, are giving us a, a number of around about 500 um, you know farm businesses that have had some uh, impact either way, and to an extent, this is a little bit of a double whammy as well, particularly um, for uh, the grape and wine industry, which is already suffering from from a downturn um, in prices. So, uh, you know, we we know there is a a lot of uh, hardship out there. Um, and as we've been working through the relief centres, and you made the point, um, you know, the relief centres are about the here and now. But um, as we uh, as we go forth from here, and the and the water recedes, the true impact um, is being revealed. And uh, every day we're getting feedback from our our team, uh, giving us that that indication. So the impact to the balance sheet um, of those small businesses and the um, you know the amount of money that uh, will be required uh, it to recover and rebuild is only just becoming known. But it, it's quite extensive and this is really going to help financially, but it will also help um, just by knowing that, you know, there are people out there that do care and want to help. I'm sure that is a massive relief for people. Now, I think you're actually the, uh, is it president of the South Australian Rugby Association. So, how are you going to go pulling on some soccer boots for this soccer game? Well, I just I just have to try and uh, learn uh, how not to pick up the ball. I think, um, Cass, that's going to be my biggest challenge. But um, I'm looking forward to uh, to to uh, doing my bit um, and uh, extending my fitness as best as I can uh, for the event. But uh, look, soccer's a great game, and and uh, you know whatever sport it is, uh, to be able to actually uh, you know, run an event like this um, and to be able to show that support for our regional communities is, uh, is, is something that's great to be part of. And I think the goal is $100,000. How far will that go? Well, it's, you know, I mean, you know, $100,000 is, is a lot of money um, to, 
But, you know, when you spread it around, as I said, you know, 500 businesses uh, that potentially are hurting, um, you can do the maths on that. It, 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 it will go as far as it can. Um, certainly, if we can get more than that, well, that's, that's fantastic. Um, I mean, we've worked uh, across the state with various events uh, with, you know, amounts of money that have been donated and raised uh, previously. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly I think when, when uh, you know, when people get behind uh, these sorts of events, uh, you just never know what will happen. But the more the merrier. Uh, if, we can, if we can double that, triple that, well, absolutely fantastic. It'll go a lot further if we can do that. Wonderful. Well, uh, I'm sure it's going to be a, a wonderful event. It's going to take place on the 19th of February. And uh, as you were saying there, all the money raised is going to go to South Australian people in need. So uh, it's good to know where the money is going. Thanks so much for letting us know just where that relief is up to. Uh, Brett Smith, who is the CEO of Rural Business Support. Brett Smith there. Now, uh, this has come about from, as I said, a lot of different organisations coming together, including the South Australian produce market. Now, the Chief Executive Officer, Angela DeMarzi, is a pretty keen soccer fan by the sounds of things. Good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon, Cassie and all your listeners. Is, was this your idea to have a soccer game? Because I know you are a big soccer fan. Uh, sure am. I'm a soccer fan, but not a very good player at that. So um, I played hockey when I was a little uh, tacker, so, uh, but uh, love uh, my soccer game, yes. Now, you, this is bringing together a lot of different organisations. Who are you working with to uh, create this charity match? Look, uh, the South Australian Project Mark is obviously uh, delighted to work with the state government to uh, obviously present uh, um, and obviously with partnership with Adelaide United to hold the charity match and raises much needed funds for the distress and hardship of primary producers and, uh, you know, small uh, related agricultural businesses impacted by the natural disaster. But uh, we welcome uh, Foodland. Uh, Foodland uh, have uh, uh, come as uh, Guernsey sponsors and also player sponsors. Um, they uh, are huge uh, 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 in terms of huge in terms of their impact and what they're doing in store. And I'll let uh, Franklin talk about that. Um, Bank SA, which also have uh, come on board, um, but uh, more importantly, is a whole heap of organisations, uh, growers, retailers, and wholesalers who are donating thousand dollars to play uh, at that charity match. So uh, we've already pretty much raised about forty thousand dollars as we speak. So uh, as Brett was speaking. Uh, we're, you know, we're obviously trying to raise uh, as much uh, money as we can um, and there'll be a QR code so we can have uh, the public and everyone uh, in, involved uh, actually uh, coming on board and, uh, and raising as much funds as we can because, look, the communities in, the, uh, uh, in these regions have uh, not only been affected by floods, we've got fruit fly and we have had hailstorm damages in the past and so they've had a, a pretty tough for the last four years and uh, look, this uh, disaster is, is touted as the largest disaster South Australians have ever seen. So uh, I thought, uh, you know, taking contact with government and uh, and say, look, we need to do something and we want to give back. So uh, this is our way of giving back. Well, it's good. it's a great initiative. You're going to be the curtain raiser for the Adelaide United Western Sydney Wanderers game. Who is actually going to be playing in this soccer game? Okay, so we've got quite a... When we put out our expression of interest, we had 22 players already. Um, I'm probably going to 
put my hand up and play for five minutes uh, so everyone can have a laugh at me because uh, I'm not a, a not a very good uh, soccer player. But we have uh, a captain, Peter Mercura, who does a lot with the Riverland. Uh, he's a wholesaler within the market. Um, we 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 also have the vice captain, um, um, who is a. Uh, um, a Romeo, a Foodland uh, um, Romeo, Rebecca, I think the name is, and uh, quite a few different uh, politicians on the other side, I, I see. So, uh, um, you know, we've got everyone from um, uh, Minister's uh, Office playing and the Premier and Cabinet uh, playing, but also Ministers and both sides. I think also Frank Pangello is putting his, uh, his boots on too. <laughs> so it'll be a great match to see, I tell you. Um, there'll be a few laughs, and um, but, uh, you know, it's also a bit of... A bit of banter about uh, about the, about the day. So, well, it is the pick a local pick SA team versus the state government. So, uh, I guess people are going to have to pick a side, see who they <laughs> want to win. But I'm sure it'll be some good fun. And how important was it to you that uh, this money st- that people were able to raise money and keep it locally in South Australia? Oh, it's extremely important. Like I said, I, you know, it's touted that uh, large, the largest disaster we've seen, and. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's struggling. Well, not only horticulture, but there's a lot of uh, um, um, other other areas within the community, and you know, and and this is basically going to regional communities, so uh, and regional business communities at that. And it's important that uh, that we give back. And we we've, we've been involved with a few other floods before, and including the likes of uh, the the Gawler River floods. But this one here is uh, much worse than uh, than that one. So it's uh, it's important that. Uh, our industry um, can actually also communicate to uh, uh, the metropolitan area of Adelaide that the regions are finding it tough and, uh, you know, this is the way the community can give back, uh, not only businesses. Is it affecting supply, the, the floods and the fallout from the floods affecting supply to the supermarkets? Oh, look, it, it has, it did affect suppliers at, uh, at, at certain stages, but there are different reasons for that. You know, we have fruit fly, we have uh, the floods, um, and uh, also, uh, so there was a, a number of reasons that uh, we've had uh, a, a shortage of supply. But you know, the, the the growers are resilient, and that's one thing they do is they'll find a way to get product to market. Um, and we've been able to continue to supply uh, consumers with uh, much healthy uh, produce that uh, that uh, that required. But you know, there are certain lines that uh, in other agricultural areas that have been uh, heavily affected. Well, good luck. I'm sure people will uh, pick a side between the uh, pick a local pick a say, basically the growers' side and the state government side on the 19th of February when uh, they uh, take on each other ahead of the Adelaide United Western Sydney Wanderers game. Thanks so much for outlining how that's going to work, and it certainly is a fun initiative. It's never been done before, I don't believe, so uh, it'd be great to get along and check it out. Thank you, Cassie, and uh, we'll we'll give you a list of uh, who's playing so then you can all pick a side. <laughs> okay, great. Thanks for that. That was uh, the uh, South Australian Produce Market Chief Executive Officer, Angelo Damasi, speaking there. And he, he mentioned there how support is coming from all sorts of areas. And uh, Foodland's Chief Executive Officer, Franklin Dos Santos, is uh, putting up a lot of money as well for the event. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Kath. How are you? I'm well, thanks. What made you want to be involved in, in this event? It is veggie farmers versus uh, producers versus the state government. So how did you come to be involved? Uh, we got involved because we are one of the biggest uh, uh, retailers in South Australia that procure out of South Australian uh, regions. And uh, our primary focus is always to support local. Now, in the past, we've always bought uh, local first. 
in the future, we'll always look to supporting local first. But more importantly, uh, we've got a role to play because we are in those regions um, to ensure that we look after the community. Uh, so when, when we got asked by the state government and also by the markets to, to see if we wanted to get involved, that was a very easy decision to be made and to invest into the future and future future producers and future generations uh, to get them through this hard part of their life and make sure that uh, they come out of this in a reasonable condition so we can continue supporting them moving forward. Has um, it been difficult? Oh, sorry, what were you going to say? So, sorry. So there's, look, for, for us, initially when it happened back in December, if we'll remember that uh, the peak hit at the uh, end of December, um, we immediately, through the stores, um, actioned about $40,000 worth of food vouchers for small business. Um, so from that perspective, um, this is what the investment is over and above that component, as well as the investment what we did into the SES where we put about $25,000 into um, grocery goods uh, so they could actually... Uh, have toothbrushes, et cetera, on the way through. So um, we are committed to the regions. Uh, we've got stores and families that operate within those regions, and we need to make sure they look up, we look after them in a period of, uh, of uh, high uh, stress uh, because it is their livelihoods and it is their family businesses on the line. Have you struggled to fill your shelves through this period, given this has affected some pretty key food bowl areas of the state? Uh, initially, yes, um, but we, we're very lucky that um, a lot of the um, a lot of the, the components were coming off season, like uh, oranges were out of season, lemons were out of season. Um, so from our perspective, um, there is a period now that that will start to kick in in the next few months. Um, but now ultimately, um, we procure right across the state, but we were able to maintain the supply chain. Um, we didn't see the impact that we saw from the seaboard, um, but that's not to say the uh, balance sheet impact now uh, from these producers that have had their crops underwater that is still to come. Um, so we need to ensure that we give them um, some support, um, not only short-term, but also long-term, and Foodland will be there long-term, um, to ensure through our policy of um, supplying or procuring South Australian first continues. Will you be pulling on the football boots? Well, I, that thought did go past my head for about uh, three seconds, and then I allocated it to my son. <laughs> um, so from that perspective... Uh, look, ultimately, the, the most beautiful thing is um, retailers have committed. Um, initially, when you look at uh, playing at Adelaide United, you, you think it's just a, a bunch of uh, men running around. I, I'm very proud of the women in my business that have put their hand up and also across the government that have put their hand up to play in this game. Um, I've got three next-generation women um, that are playing in this game, and, and that consists of Elizabeth Romeo from the Romeo Retail Group, uh, Josephine Trimboli, uh, from the Romeo Retail Group, uh, Stravulus uh, Sapolaris from the Chapley Retail Group. Um, so from our perspective, these are young women who currently play the sport and retailers that understand the importance of giving back. And I'm ta- I take it they're going to be on the, um, the Pick a Local Pick a Say uh, side. So uh, um, it sounds like there's a bit of talent there. I think the uh, government might have to um, uh, <laughs> put up some pretty good uh, players as well. I look forward to hearing how the game goes. Thank you so much for joining me this Cass, afternoon. Cass, just, just one minute, Cass. Um, what we are doing for the month of February and March, all products that have a, 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 pick a uh, Peculiar Picks uh, label on it will be part proceeds going to this um, to the uh, Rural Foundation for further distribution. So our retailers have uh, allocated uh, part proceeds of uh, Peculiar Picks um, throughout the f- month of February and March. So if the shopper who can't get to the game 
if they buy some peculiar picks, they know that they're helping their the rural community as well. I've had a text in from Frank from Arendelle asking if uh, they can donate the money on their Romeo's Rewards points on their card to the project. Can they do that? Um, I will get back to... If you can get Frank's details, we can get back to Frank directly. Okay. Let's have a conversation with the stores, okay? Great. Thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. Thank you. That was Franklin Dos Santos, the Chief Executive Officer of Foodland Supermarkets, speaking there uh, ahead of the this charity match uh, that will be the curtain raiser for the Adelaide United versus Western Sydney Wanderers game on the 19th of February. Chance to donate and uh, the money, as you heard, will be going to producers and small business owners that have been affected by the flooding uh, through large parts of South Australia. So it's, uh, yeah, it will be a fun initiative, something that hasn't been done before. So hopefully they're able to reach their goal of $100,000. It is 11 minutes to one. On digital and on mobile. ABC South Australia and Broken Hill. Stay on produce for the moment, and uh, there's been an announcement of another fruit fly outbreak across the Riverland. Uh, it seems to be happening just about every day. There was another outbreak in Wakery yesterday called Wakery B after maggots were found in commercially grown apricots there. So, what more can the government do to ensure the community are doing their part to stop the spread? Well, on yesterday's breakfast show in the Riverland, Mark Dakey, who is the chair of Citrus SA and a grower himself, suggested the government could perhaps look at enforcing fines for people who aren't doing the right thing when it comes to picking up their fruit. But could this work? Claire Scriven is the State Minister for Primary Industries in South Australia and she spoke with Stephanie Nitschke about the suggestion. So there is already the opportunity to find people. People will be familiar, of course, with the quarantine station at Yamba. Uh, and since 2019, there's been 22,000 expiations. Uh, now, there's the fines that are $409, including the uh, victims of crime levy. But fines can go up to $100,000. So there is already the opportunity to do that. Um, and where there are really serious offences, then that can occur. The, the courts, of course, are the ones who actually set what fine will be applied, but they, that opportunity does already fit. But I think what's really important in this whole fight against fruit fly is that we're utilising a variety of different approaches. So we've had uh, the media campaigns, and of course uh, we've had uh, you know the, the ongoing work by PERSA, but also since coming into government I've introduced other approaches such as the detector dogs, which we are now looking to expand, that have been very successful in their trial, uh, and also the voluntary tree removal, which is a trial that's been happening in Wakery. Uh, we've had the, the baiting program, and I really do encourage growers to sign up to the self-baiting program uh, because that's really going to help us to stop new hotspots from occurring. Uh, and we've also uh, you've got the opportunities for the grape growers to have uh, free entrust fruit fly bait. So it's a matter of using all the different tools that we have at our disposal, uh, and education and fines can be part of that and indeed are part of that, uh, but it's certainly not the whole picture. We really do need everyone to get on board. I know people, of course, are, are dealing with other things at the moment with the floods, uh, but also need to be, wherever possible, also conscious of what we can be doing to continue to fight, to fight fruit fly. Mm, a variety of, pro- of approaches and, and all these different tools. Still 26 current outbreaks, nine this year alone. It's pretty concerning. I mean, is there a point where the government will just say, look, this is now endemic? 
look, I don't think we're at that stage. Um, so far, the almost exclusively industry is saying they want to keep fighting this, uh, and the government is committed to that. And when we look at the number of outbreaks, of course that number is of concern, but it also shows that we are getting better reporting of uh, suspect fruit. So it's it, where we are going in and... Uh, and treating. Things are working well. Uh, and one of the things that we can see, of course, in the, the warm months where we are at the moment, that's uh, you know, that's a favourite time for fruit fly. So the, the current high risk period, we would expect to see more detections. But also what it means is that people are checking their fruit uh, and are reporting it. And so that's actually really important. It means that we'll see more uh, outbreaks detected, but that means that we can also go then and treat those outbreaks. Yeah, it's been um, more than a year since the federal government announced $30 million dollars for fruit fly management, including money for South Australia. Did the federal government, have they explained why there's been such a delay in delivering that funding? So the funding was um, was announced by the previous government, but then work needed to happen to actually look at what was going to be the best application of that funding. So um, I have been in discussions with uh, Senator Murray Watt, who's the Federal Minister for, for Agriculture, uh, about that. And also a scoping study was done by a, a private firm uh, commissioned by the government to look at what will be the best way to apply that. So um, Murray Watt has reassured me uh, and committed to uh, that $20 million for South Australia uh, and uh, I recently received a letter in response to a letter that I'd written uh, which was outlining that the process that will happen for that. So uh, it is on its way uh, and I look forward to being able to work closely again with the federal government to see that funding delivered. Minister, you know, is your government likely to include funding to eradicate fruit fly in your next budget? What happens is when we have outbreaks, we then go and get the funding that's needed. So it doesn't have to just go through the budget process, which of course is once a year. So uh, it's something that we have strongly stated that we are committed to. And so I've been able to secure the funding that is needed as we need it. I understand that the federal government, there are five projects that are going to receive funding. Is that correct? Uh, yes, that's right. So um, the $20 million uh, has, uh, has been secured, as I mentioned, and the recommended projects include construction of a, a sterile insect facility at Port Augusta for medfly. We're, of course, talking about fly or Queensland fruit fly, but medfly is an issue in Western Australia. Uh, and we also want to expand the, um, the Port Augusta facility for fly for Queensland fruit fly. State Minister for Primary Industries, Claire Scriven, speaking with Stephanie Nitschke. Finally today, when Kimber Farmer Brook Seal sent his youngest son, Ziggy, off to school, he wanted to give him a bit of a helping hand. That's because seven-year-old Ziggy has a brain industry. So Brook wrote a book to explain to his class that Ziggy is just like you, only a little different. And this book has since been published with that exact title and already sold thousands with profits going to the Royal Flying Doctors Service. Brooke is speaking here to Brooke Nindorf about the book's inspiration, Ziggy. Just like you, I like to play. I love playing outdoors. I love listening to music. I love going to kindy to be with all my friends. I love playing with the wool from our sheep from our farm. That was Kimber Farmer Brooke Seal reading from the book he wrote for his son Ziggy. Ziggy is uh, seven years old and lives here with with us. We've got I've got uh, four kids. He's one of them and another on the way. But yeah, he's he's got a, a pretty severe brain injury, um, which makes communication, movement, and things like that very difficult. Um, so yeah, he requires twenty four seven care. But but yeah, he goes to school here in Kimber and and um, 
yeah, he's got some amazing friends and but I've written a book about him. So the reason it started was um, I wrote the book to, to, to tell the kids at school uh, about Ziggy. And I thought, well, you know, because some would be scared, some wouldn't be scared, some wouldn't know if they were allowed to ask questions, some would. Anyway, so we just wrote a little quick Snapfish book about Ziggy and, and who he is and what's wrong with him. Because obviously a lot of the time with people with brain injury, you think there's a million things wrong with them, but there's actually only ever really one, it's their brain. So, yeah, just to explain that. And, and after that, the kids were so more responsive and seeing him in the playground and a lot of different kids, um, you know, they uh, said hello to him and um, that was great. So And from there, it was just suggested to me that I should publish it. So um, we've got a publisher, um, an illustrator, Lane Montgomery, and, um, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a diff- this is obviously a different book and a more um, publishable book. But, um, yeah, that's pretty much where it started. I guess in a, a town like Kimber, the kids might not see someone like Ziggy all the time. Uh, no, as I'd say the kids have definitely seen Ziggy all the time, and 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 they're probably not the kids. That Ziggy's just Ziggy to them. They don't. You ask them. Uh, <laughs> quite a funny story, and I read it to his class. I said, "Have you got you know any guys want to ask some questions about Ziggy?" And that's fine. You can ask me. And and one kid put the hand up. I think it's the only question I got. And they said, um, "Where'd you get your new shoes, Ziggy? We really like them." <laughs> they weren't really worried about Ziggy at all. They think there's nothing nothing different. It's just who he is. And um, but but I understand when other people see him, they would be um, taken back and, and want to ask questions and and yeah, just uh, the book's main is, is about Ziggy. And he's the main character, but it's about accepting differences in people and and maybe not and, and also not putting them down or and, and embracing them. And, and if there's something different about you, well, that's fantastic. What has been the response to the book? Uh, yeah, it's been quite overwhelming. Sold a lot of copies and. Um, just calls and messages from so many different people that it's that it's touched them. Um, like I said, Ziggy's the main character, but there's you can relate it to so many different things. You know, whether it's your religion, your sexuality, your anything. You know, it's uh, it, it doesn't matter if you're different, and that's what that's pretty much the main me- main message throughout the book um, that, that it's good to be different. When you were first coming up with the idea for the book, is it something that you sort of, you know, you might have been sitting out in the tractor and just thinking about, you know, what, how you wanted it to read and, and what sort of illustrations you wanted? Yeah, yeah, yeah that was that's, it was really difficult. There's a lot of time that went into it. It's a, obviously a children's book, so I always thought it was going to be pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it didn't end up being that way. Um, yeah, and, and, and I searched around. I could have got the... Um, the publishers to get an illustrator for me but instead I got a friend of ours Lane Montgomery um, who's an artist and it would have been really difficult to portray Ziggy in the book and but she's just done a magnificent job um, and a lot of time and effort she's put into it and now yeah, we just hope the kids and people that read it we really enjoy it and enjoy looking at the pictures and um, and enjoy the messages in the book and it, I mean if nothing else comes of it but you enjoy reading it well that's that's great. Well where are you hoping this book can maybe go from here? Uh, yeah well, it depends on how much effort I want to put into selling it, but um, I th- we've put a fair bit in it already and we're looking to do a fair bit in the new year. All the profits are going to get donated to Rural Flying Doctors, so that's a, that's a pretty big driver for all of us, um, and especially in the rural, rural areas where they service us, um, such an amazing, amazing effort they do. So, yeah, we're just going to put it out there. Maybe we've got it into a few schools, a few kindies. A lot of um, friends and family have purchased it and given it to schools and and kindies so they can it, it just about you know stimulating like i said first thing is they enjoy it second thing is that hopefully it stimulates um some some talk about oh yeah my friend's different he's got glasses or my friend's different he's from somewhere else in the world or something like that and and, and that not being a bad thing kimber farmer and now published author brooke seal speaking with brooke nine about a wonderful initiative i'm so glad that's gone well that's all we have time for today we're approaching 
Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.